Lord, we come to you now. We thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity um, every week that we have, uh, just midweek, to stop and to, to open your word in an uninterrupted, unhurried manner and to, to really take in um, the scope of the, the, the knowledge and the wisdom that you have chosen to breathe out in your word. Uh, we're thankful that uh, as we walk through life, we don't have to just wing it. We don't just have to sort of figure it out as we go, but you give us your word. And um, I'm thankful also that this Sunday we'll be able to consider uh, the might of your word and how that should leave us in all of you. Lord, my prayer tonight as we look at um, the Psalms is that you would uh, use our time as you see fit, um, bring things out in the scriptures that, that aren't in the notes, um, uh, grab our attention and uh, lead us by the, by the power of your spirit and help us to stay uh, in step with your spirit. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we're going to be studying the book of Psalms, as I said. And what we're going to be doing is this is how we're going to end this semester, as well as how we'll begin uh, again in January. So we've got two weeks left. We've got this week and next week where we're going to be looking at Psalms. Then it's Thanksgiving week. We won't be meeting on that week. And then on the 4th, we'll be coming back and we'll be having what's called a night of thanks or a night of recounting. And we'll send out more details in the next week on that. But essentially what we have is we'll meet up here on a Wednesday night. We'll have a time of worship and song and a time of testimony and recounting the deeds of the Lord, as it says in in Psalm 9, as an act of wholehearted worship. So we'll actually probably touch on that some tonight since we're in Psalms. Um, So that's kind of what what it looks like. My goal is to cover seven particulars in the next two weeks. And then in January... What I'd like to do is start our semester off by reviewing a few of those things in Psalms and then taking two weeks to, to look more um, specifically at a particular Psalm, which is Psalm 119. Um, so that, that's, that's the plan uh, in, the, in the coming weeks. So sometimes it's good to know where we're going so it makes sense on where we're at. So um, Psalms is the longest book in the Bible. Do we all know that? Fantastic. It, can, it contains the longest and the shortest chapters in all the Word. And Martin Luther actually called it, or referred to it as the Bible miniature. The Bible miniature, which um, he does that because of its vast circumstances, characteristics, and spiritual dynamics, and experiences that are communicated in it. Um, outside of the Bible, um, our main resources, we're studying through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights, is Mark Dever's, um, it's called The Message of the Old Testament. And it's an Old Testament survey. And we're actually, tonight, I just want to be clear that we're going, we're looking at seven things that he outlines. As he, he's done a lot of the legwork in going through all 150 chapters. So not trying to reinvent the wheel or anything like that, but he has a really good outline. And that's kind of the outline that we'll be sticking to tonight as we look at these details in those seven particulars. So to move in some manner of order, what we're going to do in these 150 chapters is approach the Psalms in light of how they give wisdom to spiritual people. We're going to approach the Psalms in light of how they give wisdom to spiritual people. So before we dive into that, I just kind of, for some conversation, I want to ask, what are some definitions that you have heard that define what it means to be spiritual? And I I worded that very particularly. What are some definitions that you have heard that try to define what it means to be spiritual. So you don't have to share what you think is spiritual, but maybe something that you've heard from, you know, from our culture or something you've read previously and what it means to be spiritual. Say that again. In, in tune with, okay. Meditating under your special tree. Absolutely. We all have our special trees. No? Okay. Anything else? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Cars are bigger than us. Yeah. Yeah. Just a general belief in something bigger than yourself. Nice. Also, those who are very spiritual about who they are, believing in self rather than. Yeah, sometimes rather than some nebulous sort of belief on something on the outside, it's this, if I look deep enough inside, I'll find what I need to do what I want to do or feel called to do or led to do by myself. 
What else? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just sort of general virtues that aren't bad. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Yes. Very feelings-based experiences. That, that could be how some might define spiritual. What else? Yeah. 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 Sort of a sacrifice meets tradition and a, you know, something that happens on a regular basis. What else? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Like you're paying for something to earn something in a way, maybe. It's interesting. What else? I like that there's like no shortage of answers for what is spiritual. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 Yeah, essence in herself. Yeah, yeah. Any other thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been my experience. <laughs> yeah, yes. I feel very connected to Chi and all that thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there's really, I mean, we could probably talk all night about what, it, what some people think it means to be spiritual. I had a friend of mine that I hadn't seen uh, since high school, and we were actually pretty close in high school, and I asked how he was doing and how his walk with the Lord had gone, and he, he went into this long explanation about how he's much closer to Jesus now because he's able to have these times of worship that are very, very spiritual, and they're uninterrupted, and, you know, the more he spoke, the weirder it started sounding. And by the end of it, it was just, he was just getting high and thought that he was closer to Jesus. And I was like, well, that's something, man. Keep, keep them good. Um, when I use the word spiritual, um, I'm, obviously tonight we're trying to refer to it in its most biblical sense. Not some mushy, ethereal feeling, but actually what God outlines as what should be the biblical spirituality characteristics of his children. So what we're going to be covering in the next few weeks is um, these things that God shows us, particularly in the book of Psalms, that are what we'll call biblical spirituality characteristics. So if, if you're a Christian, you're walking with the Lord, these are things that God would, would expect or that God would outline in his word for you to be as far as what we would call spiritual. These are the characteristics of a spiritual person who is Christian. And the seven, I'll just tell you all seven, and then we'll kind of take some time to go through them one at a time, are uh, biblically spiritual characteristic. Number one is uh, praise giving. Number two is honesty. Number three is remembering, or you could say recounting. Four is morality. Five is changing. Six is trusting. And seven is thanksgiving. Those, those seven things are, are repeated spiritual characteristics that we see as we look at the Psalms. And so that gives us a little bit of shape to something that's 150 chapters of largely personal experience. Yeah, praise giving is number one. Number two is honesty. Number three is remembering. Number four is morality. Number five is changing. Number six is trusting. And number seven is thanksgiving. Which if I play my cards just right, we'll do thanksgiving right before thanksgiving. It's, it's cool. I'll have three points to be very pastoral. Awesome. Um, our wisdom books, these wisdom books, we, we started this when we went into Job. And the wisdom books, which are made up of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, are really less about the nation of Israel as a whole. And they include a lot about uh, individuals. 
and about sort of the high and low experiences of individuals. And so we're going into a part of the Bible that I know as a church, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, we haven't preached through any of those yet. We've yet to hit them on Wednesday night. So um, Morris mentioned it in the Job State, but this is a uniquely different um, section of Scripture than, than what we've been largely exposed to. Yet, in most of our devotions and personal studies, we find ourselves being led to Psalms. And the reason for that, um, a lot of people would say, is because of the individual experiences that you can relate to when you hear the psalmist either give joy in a particular circumstance or cry out and mourn in another circumstance or very honestly explain confusion and, and wanting clarity from God. So it's easy. These are scriptures that are easy to relate to because of um, the large majority of them that are, that are individual experience. Um, Psalms is made up of five books um, that can be noted. If you look at your subtitles or your headings, just the general structure of the book, there's five books. It's like 1 through 41 is one, book 1, 42 through 72 is book 2, 73 through 89 is book 3, 90 through 106 is book 4, and 107 through 150 is book 5. But there's no real particular, like, this book's about this, this book's about this, this book's about this. That's just the, sort of the general if you're trying to picture some, just know that there's five books. Now, the one thing that all those books have in common is they all end with a doxology. All five of those books end with a doxology, which is a call to praise the great God that's been described in the previous chapters. So they all end with that doxology. So the purpose that they all kind of lead up to is praising God. Now, when I say that Psalms is a spiritual book about individual experience, uh, that's just kind of a weird phrase you don't hear around here a lot. A spiritual book about individual experience. When, when we say that, I actually think that um, such a statement needs some qualification. So first, I want to remind everyone as we look at these individual experiences that our story is the story of a people. That, that's a theme that we've had for years now. That's a thing that the Lord keeps revealing to us is um, my testimony didn't start uh, when I was eight and, and I prayed with my dad to receive Jesus. My testimony as a, as, a, as a part of a people began when God revealed himself to people. And when he, when he began to move in a manner where he, he brought people in and we could have a relationship with the Lord. So knowing our story is a story of a people, we become less focused on ourselves and less self-absorbed and less less worried about how awesome our testimony is and more concerned about how our testimony um, relates to the story of a people and how it brings others in to be a part of that people. And so our story is a story of a people. So as I'm saying, we're going to talk about individual experiences that are spiritual. I want to start off by reminding you that our story is the story of a people. So as we engage details about these individual experiences, I want you to remember that the story of an individual finds its home in the story of a people. So your story, whatever you've gone through, whatever has happened in your life, your spiritual highs and lows and experiences, that's part of the story of a people. Your story finds its home in the story that, that's bigger than, than your own, but, but of a people. And so um, the individuals that we're going to be hearing from in the Psalms um, are individuals who make up the people. As well, um, some spiritual things are good, while others are very bad. So that's why we got to be specific about our definition of what spiritual is. That's why we're talking about biblical spirituality according, because there's some, it's not okay just to be spiritual. It's like, well, what are we talking about when we say that? Because as we noted, as we show, as the example that we started with is there's plenty of, you know, thought that you can give to what it means to be spiritual. So um, it can be good and it can be bad. And this is why the focus of our study is going to be on these biblical characteristics of the truly spiritual followers of God. So we'll start with that first one, which was praise giving. Turn to Psalm 145. The first characteristic of a truly spiritual person who's a follower of Christ who fears the Lord is that they're praise giving. And I'm going to read Psalm 145. Now, um, with a book this big, there's going to be a lot of reading. So we're going to read a handful of Psalms tonight. So do your best to, to not disengage when we read. It says in that chapter, Psalm 145, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. 
Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. In this psalm, what are some of the things that God is praised for? Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, like um, we've got Clint wrote the song "Come, Come, Bless the Lord," um, and uh, it does a good job of. You're not blessing him as though you're giving him something that he doesn't have. You are ascribing all blessing to him. So it is a blessing unto the Lord for you to say every blessing that we have, everything that we have gone through, everything that you have seen us through, every help that you have given us, every way that you have revealed yourself to us in any way is all because of your goodness. That's a blessing unto the Lord. We're blessing the Lord by ascribing all blessing to him. That's a, that's a great question. I don't know if it's a fantastic answer, but that's a great question. So in that... What is God praised for? Gracious and merciful. His wonderful works. Provision of food. Think about that. Like next time y'all are at a meal and it's like, okay, let's pray. God is great. God is good. Like you wouldn't have food if he didn't give you food. Period. It's, there's these simple things that we kind of do these everyday, you know, almost rituals, and we can be not mindful of the fact that we would not have this food if you did not give it to us. What else? What else does he praise for? His greatness. Upholds those who are falling. Slow to anger. Righteousness. A lot of what we're seeing here is that God is being praised in Psalm 145 for what he has done. He's, he's being praised for his mighty acts. He's shown himself in these things that he has done. You have delivered us from this. You fed us here. You upheld those there. And there's these things that he has done that he's being praised for. So part of what praise giving is, is we are praising God for what he's done. We should never fail in praising God for what he's done. And one of the things for us is, to praise him for what he's done, we've got to have our eyes open into what he's doing. We've got to be paying attention to the things around us and saying, I, I don't think that would have happened if not for the Lord's movement. I don't think these, you know, these different conversations would have taken place if not for God putting the certain people in the certain place at the certain time. And so we, we should be paying attention because we're called to give God praise for what he has done. But as we continue to read, what we're going to find is um, God's to be praised for what he's done, but he's also to be praised just for who he is. Um, I think, I mean, my suspicion is that we're probably better at praising God for what he's done than praising him for who he is. A lot of times it'll be something, something beneficial or something good that happens in our lives and it'll cause, oh God, you're so good. 
the moment we were without, I mean, that, that's that whole thing that Paul talks about. I know the secret of being of, of abounding and, and, and being in need of, of being brought high and being brought low. Can we praise him in the times that we're brought low, even when we feel like we don't even have maybe what we feel like we need or what our perceived need is? In those moments, can we, can we praise him for who he is? And in the moments where we have abundance, can we make sure we're still praising him for who he is and not just for this abundance that's very obvious and evident in front of us? So um, turn to Psalm 148, just page over. As I read through this, it's a little shorter than the other one, but as I read through this, I want y'all to consider what are just some of the, the, we're not trying to say which one's better or worse, but I just want y'all to try to take note of how do they differ from each other? How does Psalm 145 and 148 differ from each other? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun, moon, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever and gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deep and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. How does this differ from and or complement Psalm 145? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. This draws attention to the fact that he's got over everything, not just people. That's a great point. What else? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. What else? Yeah. One is why he should be praised, and then the other is who and what should be praising him, and, and even how. What else? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like, even those elusive underwater creatures have some reason to, to be praising the Lord. Like that, that, there's, that's big. Like I can't really wrap my head around that. I don't even know how that happens. It sounds like bubbles. I don't, I don't know. But it's, I mean, there's, there's a lot going on here that's pretty remarkable. Um, Mark Dever, in his, uh, in his notes on this, he, he makes a note that he says, fundamental to any biblical spirituality is real, real joy in God and who he has revealed himself to be. It is centered on God. So one of the things that the Psalms will do is ask, kind of force us to, to answer rather than ask, but to answer the question, uh, do you have real joy in God? I mean, is, is there, do you have such a view of the Lord to where um, an expression like this has any place in your life? Is there, are there days where you're, you're overwhelmed by the goodness of God and all you can say is you're great, you're great to be praised. This and this, I look at my children, I see this. I look at my bride and I see this. I look at my church and I see this. And God, I just want to praise you. I want to, I want to give glory to you. I want to, I want to ascribe and, and say that all of this blessing is from you and for you. Are, are we finding real joy in God? That's something that the Psalms caught. That's a question that it absolutely requires us to answer. And, it, and what he's, what Dever is noting here is that fundamental to the biblical spirituality is that real joy. Like you can't be a spiritual person without having real joy in the Lord. Like one precedes the other. This real joy in the Lord 
goes to this, this you know, spirituality where you're, you're expressing this enjoyment in the Lord. And, and what I think we can draw from that is that in light of this, it's not the spiritual journey where you find God. I think if it's centered on God, I, I think we could say that um, centering on the Lord is where we actually find our true spirituality. Does that make sense? There's a difference between the two. My buddy who was getting high was going on this weird spiritual journey thinking he's finding the Lord in some unique way or, you know, reaching some deeper understanding. But the reality is he doesn't, he doesn't need the drugs to do that. He, he could focus and center on the Lord. And in doing that, he would find that there's true spirituality and depth and joy that would cause him to, to give thanks and to give praise to the Lord. This is where the Psalms really become a sort of indirect warning against anything that's self-absorbed. Um, some of the Psalms, just to be honest, there's some Psalms I read that I feel like they're really self-absorbed. And I'm like, whoa, you just said that to God. <laughs> Yikes, that's very, that's very uh, bold of you. And we'll talk about that in the honesty section. But here in the praise-giving section, um, I do think that there is warning that comes from the Psalms against anything that's really self-absorbed um, because that's how we can define false spirituality. There's a lot of people who claim to be spiritual, but if we're trying to discern if that spirituality is of Christ or not of Christ, one thing that will help us to discern is if it is self-absorbed or not. Self-absorbed on the person who's sharing with you or self-absorbed on that it's all about you. I mean, if, if you're hearing a message um, from someone who's claiming to preach Christ, but the message is all about you, all about you, all about you, all about you, or all about that person. Um, that's, a, that's a red flag, I think, that, that we should stop and say, well, uh, this whole thing's supposed to be centered on the Lord, and true spirituality is not self-absorbed, whether it's you absorbed with yourself or, or trying to get others self-absorbed on their own, their own goodness. So um, the reason I say that is there, there's such a thing as, as false spirituality. And according to our Bibles... Um, that can be known by its godlessness, um, by its self-absorbedness, um, and by its praiseless makeup. Um, uh, a self-absorbed spirituality doesn't praise God, and, um, and that's, a, that's a mark that it, that it may be false spirituality. Truly spiritual people know the bankruptcy of praising themselves. Truly spiritual people know the bankruptcy of praising themselves, and they revel in the joy of praising God and serving other people. I mean, what you'll find scripturally is the more you praise the Lord, the more you'll be serving other people, the more you'll be Christ-like in your endeavors, not, not coming somewhere to be served, but like Christ, to serve, um, putting the interests of others before your own interests, seeking to lift the burden of the afflicted and pour yourself out for the hungry. Um, that's what comes with spiritual maturity for those who are truly spiritual in the Lord. So the first thing is praise giving that we can find in the Psalms. The second thing is honesty. And this is, this is kind of interesting to me because where would y'all think... Um, and some of y'all may, may be like obvious. I just it kind of struck me interesting as I was studying this last couple of days. Um, where do y'all think the most honesty is in the Psalms? At the end of them, yeah. What do you mean by that? Yeah. 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 That's a great point. That's a great point. Toward the end, after they've got said everything, some of us have more of that factor than others in our lives, where it's like, we got to get everything out. And then, okay, now some stuff makes sense and I feel better. Um, you see the psalmist doing just that in a number of ways. Any other thoughts on where the most honest psalms might be? David's confession. And what did you say? Yeah, with his sin, okay. When he's the hunted, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting because what, what we find as we look at it is um, honesty is most evident in the songs of lament. And that can come because you're being hunted. That can come because of your own sin. But it's the songs of lament that, um, that are quite honest. Um, why do y'all think that is? Well, sure. Yeah. This is actually how most of our conversations go. <laughs> um, we can find this deep honesty that I think in our individual experiences we can relate to 
largely in these songs of lament. That's not, that's not any sort of insinuation that the other psalms are like, if you're happy, you're a liar, and if you're sad, you're honest. That's, that's certainly not what I would want to imply here. But if you're reading through these psalms, you see, I would call it an honesty that sort of maybe takes us by surprise. Where I mean, I, I know that as I read some of these songs of lament, I see I'm kind of surprised by some of the things that are shared and, and how honest the psalmist is. So I would, I'm, I'm speaking in terms of, that's a great question because I want to make sure it is clear that it's not like if you're happy, you're, you're lying. Um, I'm speaking in terms of this individual experience where we can be like, wow, I don't know if I would, like there's some psalms where you'd say, I don't know if I have, I would have had the, the guts to say such a thing if I hadn't heard the psalmist say such a thing. And there's sort of a guard that comes down when we see that individual experience. Does that help? Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 Yeah, if we're if we're talking about honesty and it probably its most sincere and pure form, we're, that would come from the most sincere and pure form of truth, which we're being as close to that as we can. And so, in this in this setting, we're almost sort of talking about there's almost an expectation of um, sort of the glad handing Christian is sort of what comes to mind. This, hey brother, how's it going? God is good all the time. All the times, God's good. You know that kind of thing that's pretty typical in our culture. And so. Um, that that, uh, that sort of burying your soul kind of honesty that you said um, is what we're looking at. These these songs, these songs of lament, they're they're full of sorrow, um, disorientation at times, um, pain, uh, distress, anger, and feelings of abandonment. Um, I didn't previously realize this, but psalms of lament make up the large majority of the entire book. So of the 150 psalms. Uh, 62 are complaints or laments, or this sort of bearing your soul, pouring out um, this grief. 62 of the 150 are like that. And of those 62, a fourth of them are communal, and then three-fourths of them are, are individual. And so as we're reading through the Psalms, a large part of what we will get are these individual laments, these complaints, these, these raising up something and pouring it out under the Lord. Um, Turn to Psalm 10. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a significant connectivity from chapter to chapter. And um, in some, sometimes you'll find that. Um, but I, I kind of feel like as I've read through and looked at it, um, and some may disagree with this. And in fact, if, if, you, if you do, I'd, I'd encourage you to speak up and, and explain that because um, it's good. That's, that's edifying. But um, I, I think it's just sort of a lot... You read through the Psalms, it's a lot like life. This, this, <laughs> we're up, we're down, we're up, we're down, we're confused, we're disoriented, we're full of joy, and there's this realness to it that, um, that is there. Now, if you're wanting to study it, um, that, that's, where, that's where it gets a little maddening because it's like, okay, seriously, I need, some, I need like a table of contents <laughs> and looking at the details. So I, I, don't, I haven't found that that exists. Now, there's a lot, if, if you know who the author is of a particular psalm, and a lot of them we know it's David, and then there's others, but um, sometimes you can see some connectivity between those, but there's not like this was, a, um, and you can sometimes connect with our his, books of history, you can connect when that psalm was written. So you can go back to what we saw previous, but if you just sit and read through it, I, I haven't found a real good resource that's like, 
aside from maybe a good study Bible that points you back to, to, to some of the Old Testament occurrences. Um, Psalm 10. Let's read through Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I want y'all to make note of when you see something, you're like, I would never say that. I, I, that's, wow. If, when you have kind of that, you know, bewildered moment, reading through something, make a note of it, because it's something maybe to come back and, and look at at some point. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times, your judgments are on high, out of his sight, for all his foes, as for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in a thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. Helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He'll never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account, but you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of earth of the earth may strike terror no more. This is an example of one of the Psalms that you said it seems more sober at the end maybe uh, than the beginning. It seems a little more uh, realistic at the end. So question, um, a statement and then a question. Uh, our honesty, if we read a psalm like this, what we should know is that our honesty should express itself um, in suffering and distress. What I mean is um, in the midst of suffering and distress, our honesty, um, it's okay to, to express how you feel, to express where you're at. Some of us, I mean, I think, what are some of the shocking things you see in there that you think that, that might be hard to say to God? I know, doesn't it? Verse 1 just almost sounds like an accusation. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away, and why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I, I think it, I go straight to Job. Were you there <laughs> when I started all Were you there when I placed those up there in the sky? Were you there when? Yeah, that's, uh, it almost sounds like an accusation. What, what else is sort of shocking about Psalm 10? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's this impatience is a great word. It's it's hey God, bad things are still happening. What are you doing? That's that's what gets me. That arise, O Lord. I'm sorry. Did you think he was sitting? Did you you know? Did you think he was just chilling out over here? Like that's yeah, that's um, shocking. This one is. I'd have to have a commentary to know. Or a study Bible. Does anyone have a study Bible that says it? It doesn't say it? I used to have them all memorized. Just kidding. I never. Yeah, 
Okay. 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 It's an insightful possibility. Anyone else? Thought I saw a hand. Um, uh, Deb? Yeah, I've always, Philippians 4, I, I just absolutely love the balance that it gives to the approach that God allows us to take with him. It's phenomenal that he says, let your request be made known. Like he's saying, I'm God. <laughs> there's nothing I don't know. There's, there's no power greater than mine. Uh, there's nothing more sovereign than myself. But my created child, who is limited in understanding, I'm allowing you to let your requests be made known to me. But it says with thanksgiving. So let your requests be made known with thanksgiving. And that's where I think it gives a great balance to how we approach the Lord. Um, and we, we won't always find a perfect balance in the Psalms. I mean, there's, there's some things in Scripture that aren't there just to say it's okay to do this. I mean, you go back to plenty of Old Testament stories. They're not there to give an approval to some immoral thing. But I, that balance in, in Philippians 4 of let your request be made known with thanksgiving and then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. So there's this, there's always something to give thanks for even when you have a request to be made known. And so here it's, like you said, it's almost like, like he's reminding the Lord that there's afflicted ones knowing that the Lord knows they're afflicted, but God, don't forget them. Not, not saying you forget anything, but you know, it's, it's a, there's an interesting balance there. Um, that's, I would never want you to shut up. Yeah. 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 That's there. That's a, I mean, there was parts of the sermon I was uncomfortable with, not because he was wrong or stated something wrong, but because I've never heard that preached in a sermon before, where it's like, you're talking about vindication. And in fact, on Sunday, part of his prayer was vindication, like specifics in lives. And so, but it's good to note that it says, um, uh, what, what, what part did you mean? Yeah, break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is different, yes, which is different than saying, give me an opportunity to break their arm, which is what I'd probably be inclined to pray. Um, Dever makes a note that um, on this that uh, he says, sometimes we think it's more spiritual not to feel pain. Sometimes we think it's more spiritual not to feel pain, and if we do, not to acknowledge it. So my question there would be, he, he says, sometimes we think, so he's making a, a sort of a, observation of, of our, particularly our Christian culture, our current day Christian culture, and saying sometimes we think it's more spiritual not to feel pain, and if we do, not to say anything about it, to keep it to ourselves. So my question that, that would be worth throwing out and seeing where the heck this goes, what's the difference between honestly crying out about your pain and complaining in discontentment? Because God's not cool with complaining with a discontent heart. Yet there's 
this invitation to, to be honest about your pain and to pour your, your complaints out and to let your request be made known. So what's the difference between the two? Yes. Yeah, complaining usually does not expect a response. It's a great point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point that just complaining in and of itself and sort of discontentment involves zero trust. You're not, you're not having to exercise any trust to the Lord. I think it also speaks perfect to Yeah, yeah. The yeah. complaining purpose is, don't you look at me and see where I'm at? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think about that for a minute. In our complaining, our vexing, our whining, we're going to the Lord, and we're saying, "You need to get on board here." You see what I'm saying? Like that. This is—it's kind of shocking to consider what we do. Um, one of probably the most influential books in my life outside of the Bible is Jeremiah Burroughs' "Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment." Um, because it just, I mean, spiritual kick in the gut. I mean, just um, really hit home with me and some of the things I struggle with. But he talks about how um, a lot of people in their Christian life, there's this, um, it's, it's sort of like a nice shiny leather shoe where it looks right on the outside, but on the inside it pinches the flesh. And he says, your your soul has a voice that only the Lord can hear. So outwardly it may be one thing, but does he hear from you this vexing and complaining and this, this just incessant discontentment as he hears the state of your soul in a way that no one else can. And so um, this difference between honestly crying out and complaining and discontentment, um, I think Psalm 62, actually, it's, it's helpful to me, and it's one of the things that Burroughs uses. Turn to Psalm 62. There's a difference between going to the Lord to get him on board with where you're at and humbling yourself before the Lord in thanksgiving, looking for counsel like more. So it's a really important point. And in Psalm 62, kind of, it's, it's painting a picture of the waiting soul. Um, like the soul that is in a, uh, a moment that's not real peace-filled necessarily. There's turbulence, yet it's waiting for the Lord. And so it says in 62.1, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. The only plan, they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse for God alone. Oh, my soul, wait in silence for my hope is from him. You see this picture of the psalmist actually counseling their own soul. That's something we can do with the scriptures. We counsel our own souls with the scriptures. That's, that's something that is sort of unique um, to our individual experience, yet it totally finds pur- purchase in our corporate experience because that's what you do with other people too. If someone's down, you don't just, good luck, buddy. You speak the word to them. You, you want to let edifying talk come out of your mouth. You want to encourage them. And you can do the same thing with your own soul. He, he commands, for God alone, oh, my soul, wait in silence. Don't sit here and vex and fret and go through every negative possibility in your head. Don't have conversations in your head that have never happened. Don't expect the worst. Wait in silence. So there's this picture here where the goal is to be able to honestly cry out to God about our suffering, yet doing so with a soul that's silent before God, trusting him with the very things we lament. So it's not saying don't lament, don't be honest about pain you're going through, 
but you cry out in a way where you're letting that be known, yet with a soul that is silent, trusting God with the very things that we are communicating with our mouths. So it's, it's this honesty in what we're saying to the Lord because he allows such an honesty, yet not with a soul that says, and I'm saying all this because you stink at your job. There's a difference between the two. We can say things with a soul that says, I, I trust you, Lord, and I, I need to grow my trust in this area, in this area, in this area. Lord, I see this. Lord, I fear this day. Lord, I'm concerned about this dynamic. And you, and you do that with a soul that's silent, quiet, knowing that the Lord will do what the Lord does. And that's very different than with a soul that's just trying to tell God, you stink at everything you're doing, and I don't know if you're even trustworthy. There's a difference between the two. You can even be honest about struggling with trusting the Lord, yet counseling your soul to wait in silence. It's, this is spirituality. This is, this is spirituality that, that we're talking about. So uh, the truly spiritual person knows the real joy of praising God, but also the real anguish of crying out to him, honestly, in times of lament. So let's pray, and we'll pick back up next week with remembering. Lord, we love you. Uh, we are humbled at the reality that you are a good God who allows us to, to know any part of you and what you're doing so that we would be filled with an, an eagerness to give praise to you. <coughs> Yet, you also allow us to, to let our requests be made known to you and to, um, to be honest about the things we're struggling with. I'm thankful that we don't have to have that dynamic in our lives where uh, we feel a certain way that we can't be honest about. Um, and I'm also thankful that just because we feel a certain way doesn't mean that it is a certain way. Um, we know that we we view many things in a mirror dimly lit. And our view of things isn't always real accurate. And sometimes in our confession, you'll reveal things to us that are rounded out by the reality of your sovereignty. And then, Lord, sometimes in our confession, you'll bring other people along to hold up the mirror of the word and say, hey, it's not quite what you think it is. It's, it's, you may think it looks like this, but this is reality. And they'll show us some beauty um, in the word that, that we haven't seen before. Um, Lord, I, I pray that as we continue through the Psalms, that you would um, encourage us and uh, help us. And I pray that studying the things that the different psalmists recount um, would help us to um, grow in our, in our true spirituality, um, that we may be um, uh, better fit as worshipers. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.